0: I'd tell a joke every Sunday then we get here. And, and sometimes there are people uh, that uh, will send me jokes, but then they want to step back and not act like. So I won't tell you who sent me this joke, uh, Jeff Brown. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, so you can blame him. But it, this is both I think maybe this is a true story. There was a lady, I don't know where it was in New York or Atlanta, where I exactly where it was. But she was arrested, she was 80-something years old, and she was arrested for stealing a can of peaches. And so, anyway, the judge told her that, and she's down in front of the judge, he found her guilty, and then he asked her, says, how many peaches were in that can? And she said, six. He said, okay, says, then I'm going to give you six days in jail for every peach that you stole. And... uh, all of a sudden, her husband spoke up and said, well, Judge, can I say something? He said, yeah, go ahead. She so also stole a can of peas. <laughs> so that the main thing to remember there, if your wife ever shops, you know, ever uh, shoplifts, then uh, just remember what she stole. So whatever, all right. Well, I'm going to start a series of sermons, and this is on the book of Romans, and I, I'm not, you know, I, I love Romans, I, I've always felt uh, just some akin to it, uh, I, I think one, I, other than the four gospels, I believe that Romans, especially Romans 6, 7, and 8 are two of the, great, the, the greatest verses in, in the scripture. But I want to start this, and and I hope that you'll really pay attention because I believe in this time while we need to be talking about the fact that Jesus is coming, and, and we do this on a regular basis in this church, but also the fact that I want you to understand who you are in Christ. I want you to come to a place that you have a really great relationship with the Lord. And there may be some of you in here today that feel like, well, my relationship between me and the Lord is not as great as it ought to be. Uh, but if you've come to know Christ, I, I want you to really listen to what I've got to say today. And so turn with me, if you will, over to Romans 8, and we're going to read the first four verses there. Listen to what it says. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, how I need you to make this as plain as it possibly can be. That, Lord, uh, there are so many of us that live, live disqualified. We still live in the past. We still live as if our sins, if even though we've come to Christ, we live as if that our sins have not been forgiven. So, Lord, I pray simply today that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength. And you're our redemption. You're everything. And we can't do this without you. So I pray that you'd be with us. And I ask that in Jesus' name. And for his sake, amen. I think sometimes we take verses. And, you know, I, I was showing that over in the third chapter of the book of Revelation in Sunday school this morning. Some people talk, want to talk about that the fact that it blots out. That, that, you know, your name can be blotted out, you know, the scriptures. If you read that verse over there, it doesn't say God will blot it out. In fact, it says this. It says God will not blot you out. That's what it says. But we argue over the fact, well, that means simply that God can blot it out. Rather than celebrating the fact that God will not blot your name out, we want to talk about how God will blot your name out. And the truth of the matter is, I believe with all my heart and soul that every single solitary person that is ever born, their name is put in the book of life. And I think I can back it up with Scripture. That their name is put in the book of life, the moment you're born. But if you come to a place, if you come to a place in your life where you never, there's never a historical event in your life, there's never a time that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you die, at that point, God does take your name out of that book. And the Bible tells us that all who was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life were cast into the lake of fire. Your name wasn't there. Why was it not there? Because you never came to know Jesus Christ. So my whole point is, so many times... We want to hear the negative rather than hear the positive. Well, I want to tell you, I could not preach a more positive sermon this morning than what I'm about to preach. Because the Bible says there is now, now, no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Now, years ago, I heard a a, a story, and it was about elephants, that when baby elephants are just really small, they take a chain and they put that chain around that uh, that. Baby elephant's leg, and that he tries to pull on it, and he tries to pull on that chain, and he can't move. And he gets it in his head that he cannot move. Now, when he's when later on he becomes a huge, massive elephant, they don't even put a chain on his a chain on his leg. Even though he could pick a pickup truck and, and throw it around or do what play ball with it or something like that. He could do that. He doesn't do that. Why? Because in his mind, even though he's stronger now than he ever was, in his mind he thinks he cannot do it. Now I think there's a lot of Christians that way. That even though Jesus has told us what he has done and what he will do, we don't believe him. And that's the problem. We don't believe what he said. There was a story by the man by the name of Robert Solman. He was fifty. He was a fifty-year-old convict who had a horrible childhood. He spent most of his life in prison. And in 2001, he was released from prison, and he found it very difficult to live. In 2010, he had a grace-like experience. He was riding a New York subway, and Ra- Rashad Green was looking for someone to play a tough-looking convict for an upcoming film. He saw Robert, and he asked to try out, and he did, and to everyone's surprise, he got the part. Salzman had a hard time believing that he was free, though, that he was outside, out the doors. He could could do whatever he wanted to do. On one occasion, while they were filming the movie for a Long Island location that was a prison, he had a long day, and he found himself tired during a break, and he went into one of the cells, and he laid down on the cot, and he fell asleep. When he woke up, he became confused, and he thought he was still in prison, a prisoner. He started crying until slowly it dawned on him he was was a free man. He was overjoyed by the fact he could walk out of there a free man any time that he wanted. That's a picture of who we are many times. Many ways this reminds us of many of us who were set free by the gospel, And yet, we act like we haven't, it has never happened. We forget we're free, and we've not figured out why the burden is still heavy upon us. This is why we're looking at Romans 8 this morning, because it is here that we learn about our freedom. I've always said that Romans 6, 7, and 8 were the hub of the Bible. Romans 8 has been called the greatest chapter in the greatest book and the greatest verse in all the Bible scripture. And one of the great scriptures is Romans 8:28 that says all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to his purpose. It also says this, it, it, you go on, there is no chapter in the Bible that presents what the spiritual life is all about. So many preachers have dedicated to preach on the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. For instance, John Piper, he preached 29 sermons on this. Uh, John MacArthur preached 57 sermons on, just Romans 8. And Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 75 sermons on this. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to preach that many, uh, uh, that many sermons. Spencer, an old German theologian, said if the Bible were a ring, Romans would be the precious stone and chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. Donald Gray Barnhouse said that if the Bible should fall into the floor accidentally, if your Bible should fall to the floor accidentally, it should automatically open to the book of Romans. How can a true child of God read Romans 8 and feel down? Listen, if you're struggling with guilt, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with sin, read Romans 8. If you don't know how to pray, read Romans 8. If you're struggling with assurance of your salvation, read Romans 8. If you're suffering from depression, read Romans 8. The woman in John 8 who was caught in the very act of adultery, Jesus said her when the men finally left because they just remembered they had something on the stove or something to do when he said, let the first one without sin cast the first stone. And so they left, and Jesus is still, you know, in the, in the, in, you see these pictures of Jesus, how he's, he's down riding on the ground. And the reason some people say, well, I wonder what he was writing on the ground. Was he writing Motel 6, maybe something like that or whatever he put on it? And those guys looked, and they realized that was the day he was talking about, but that was not what he was. That's not what he was doing. The reason that Jesus was writing on the ground, because that's the same ground where the Bible says that when Moses went to Sinai, that, he took his, that God took his finger and he wrote the Ten Commandments. And so when Jesus was writing on the ground what he was writing, he was saying to them basically, I'm the one that wrote the law. I'm the one that gave the law. And you're coming to me saying, what am I going to do with this woman? But Jesus still knelt down. Here she's standing up Down, And that's the way he does. He doesn't come to you. He comes to you even in our sins. You know, the Bible says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may have seen, received mercy and grace in time of need. What's mercy? You know what mercy is? Mercy is when you and I have screwed up. When we've done things that we shouldn't have done. And yet here's God saying to us, run to me. Run to me. Run to me. Even when you've messed up. That he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you. See, the truth of the matter is that you and I have a position with Jesus Christ. What's the position? Jesus gave us that position. When he died on Calvary, he died, and I became his son. I have a position with my father. I'm his son. Just like you have a father. And you have a, and, but, many, but many people don't have, while they have a position with their father, they don't have a relationship with him. That's the difference. See, I can have a position with him in that I become his son, but my relationship with him is not good because I don't do the things he wants me to do. But here's the whole point. And so, and so as, a, as, as a result of that, you know, it tells me simply that how that Romans 8 tells me how I can, if I'm struggling with anything, I'm to come to him. But to come boldly to the throne of grace is what he wants us to do. And yet this woman in John, here's Jesus down here and she's standing up here. He finally stands up and he looks at her and he says to her, he says, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man accused thee? And she says, No man, Lord. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He doesn't say to her, Now you go get yourself straightened up. You go go and sin no more, then you come to me. No, that ain't the way it works. It's always by his grace. He says, you come to me just the way you are. Sin tattered everything, just like the prodigal came home. You You come to him that way, and he said, then go and sin no more. But here's my question to you this morning. How do you do that? See, we come to Christ, and we know that all of our sins have been forgiven on Calvary. But how do I live that life that he wants me to live? How do I live the life where there is no sin? How do I do that? And and that's the question. And so, go and sin no more. But how do how do I go and sin no more? Here's how. For Roman eight tells us, Jesus said, "Go your way, sin no more." Jesus' tone with the lady was not okay. Now, if you you now go off and and and. Uh, uh, go off the, you know, if you go off on on a tangent or and and you get back in this time, but if that happens again, you're going to be in big trouble. Did he say that? No, he didn't say that. He just said go and sin no more. I believe that Jesus' tone was, go your way. You're a free woman. I'm I'm giving you liberation from your tendency to indulge in your flesh, and I'm freeing you to live an ethical, different lifestyle that I want you to live. That's what he's saying. See, we know that the Lord has freed us from the guilt, the penalty of sin. He's, do you know that? <laughs> do you know that the Lord has freed you from the guilt and the penalty of sin? But what we don't comprehend is what He's freed us to. Do You understand? He's not just freed you from, but He's freed you to. Because in Romans 6, 8, He says... Simply listen to what he says. He says you, that having been set free from sin, listen to this: you became the sin, uh, or you became the slaves of righteousness. You know what that means? That means the Holy Spirit came into your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have come new. Things happen in your life. The Holy Spirit come to dwell within you. And the book of Galatians says where that I cannot do the things I wish. I can go sin. I can be tempted, and I can sin all I want if that's what I want to do. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's inside and you've got this conflict continually. You've got this thing inside you fighting against this, telling you not to do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Telling you which way to go. The Holy Spirit's in there. That's the difference. I remember Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln hated, hated slavery. And one time he went to the slave market and there was this young teenage girl that was there and she she hated everybody around her because of the way she'd been treated, she'd been abused, and everything else. And Abraham Lincoln she she caught the eye of Abraham Lincoln, and he looked at her and he thought to himself, you know. And she looked at him as, with hatred and whatever, and and so anyway, when the time came for her to come up on the auction, he bought her. And when he bought her. She looked at him with disgust and hatred, and she looked at him and said, What are you going to do with me? And Abraham looked at her and said, I'm going to set you free. She said, set me free? She said, set me free to do anything I want to do? Yep, set you free do anything you want to do. Set me free to go wherever I want to go? Yep. Set you free to go wherever you want to go. Set me free to say anything I want to say. Yep, set you free. Say anything you want to go. She said, Then I'm going with you. (laughs) See, that's what Jesus has done for you. He set you free from the bondage of sin and the power of Satan to go with him. That's what he's done. And the Bible simply teaches us that in him. You know, there's freedom. Romans 8, 1 says, you hear him say this, you're free. There is no more condemnation. We're not free because of anything we've done or the church we attend or the the creed that we believe. We're free because God has done something to free us from our bondage and free us from slavery. I hear people all the time talk about, well, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments, you've got to do this, whatever. And, 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 there's no, and we'll get into this in a minute, but there's nothing wrong with the law. But, you know, when I read about the New Covenant over in Romans, uh, uh, Hebrews 8, one of the th- God tells you why he had to come with a new covenant rather than the Old Covenant. What was the Old Covenant law? If you do this, you get blessed. If you don't do this, you get cursed. But the new covenant came, and when the new covenant came, why did the new covenant come over in Romans 8? Because he says, you could not continue in it. That's what it says, read it. What does that mean? It means we couldn't keep it. We couldn't keep the law. And so what does God do? He did something for you that you yourself could not do. We say, well, no, no, now, Lee, we need to keep the law. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says over, I think it's in the third chapter of the book of Romans. I think it is the third chapter, verse 20. Is it 320? Uh, Let me make sure I don't tell you a lie. Uh, 320, yes, it is. It says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. See, this is what's wrong with America today. We think we can legislate, George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, all those guys said that in order for us to have a free country like we are supposed to have, in order to have it, you must have have morality, but you cannot have morality without religion. But you see what we're trying to do, we're now trying to pass laws that will give us morality. Morality. It won't do it because it's. What does the word say? It says, "By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified." What does it mean? You can pass all the laws you want to. You you can tell your your grandson when you put something on your coffee table or whatever, don't touch that. Guess what? There's something inside of us, inside of our very nature. This is why God tells us our hearts got to be changed. It tells us we want to sin, so we're free. We're free because God has done something to free us from bondage and from that. We're, we're justified by faith. Romans five Romans 5.1 five says this, having, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I don't know about you, I'll I tell you, I want peace with the main guy there'll be a lot of people won't like you because you're a Christian there'll be a lot of people won't turn against you you know and it's going to get worse guys you may go apply for a job so As you apply that you're a Christian you won't get it you know there's all kinds of things that are going to happen to us so we haven't even, we haven't even seen yet but by the same token we have peace with God and then if you go ahead we have peace with God through our uh, therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and then we go straight into Romans 8:1 there is therefore now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus Now the rest of that verse says who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit there is no condemnation Now in our heads we probably believe that but go to the next word in in chapter 8 therefore Therefore, what's the next word? Therefore is therefore what? Now. It means right now, not later, not if I do this, whatever. No, he means now. He means now, right now. And, and So now, today, right now, there's no condemnation. Now, in our heads, we probably believe that, but now means there is no condemnation. Right where you are, not, you're not being condemned. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, the unbeliever has his judgment before him, and he does not repent and receive Christ, he'll be judged. But the difference is that the believer in Christ has had his judgment behind him. If you've known Jesus, your judgment has already taken place. Now you say, now wait a minute now, Lee. Doesn't the Bible say that we all must stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ? Yes, but that's one of rewards. It's not one of condemnation. And there is no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And look what it says over in John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And look at this, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life because of what Christ has done, because what he's done on Calvary, the Bible says there is now, now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, if a member of a football team are allowed to yell when they, when they win or people yell because their candidate wins an election or because they win 50 bucks on a horse race, let us shout for joy because we're in Christ and there is no more condemnation. We ought to rejoice over this, what God has done. What you could not do. And the Bible says that what, do, what we could not do in the flesh because the flesh was weak. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, that's what he did. God did it. God did it. The Bible says you and I right now at this very time do not have any condemnation. We're not condemned. Here's the next word. Look at the next word there. There is therefore now what? No no condemnation. Condemnation has two meanings. Sentencing and execution of the sentence. It means to pronounce guilty, to be sentenced to punishment. Romans 8, 1 is full of significant words. And the most significant word is the word no The Greek word text would say, no, not any. Paul is not saying we have some condemnation. He's not saying we have no condemnation. We don't have limited condemnation or appropriate condemnation or calculated condemnation or a little condemnation. No, we have no condemnation. So what does that mean? There is no condemnation. He will not kick you out of his family No matter what you do He will never, never leave you Now I will say this to you You got to make sure you're saved He's talking to save people here There's a lot of people in the church today That claim to be Christian And they've never had an experience with Jesus Christ and What does the Bible say? The Bible says over in the book of First John He that hath the Son hath life Either that hath not the Son hath not life. So if you don't have the Son, maybe you've been going to church all your life, but you don't have the Son. Maybe you've been religious all your life. Maybe maybe your grandfather, I have been a lot of time people come to me and say, my grandfather was a preacher. Well, that's wonderful, but God doesn't have a group plan going to glory, you know? You know? You got you, you to come yourself, you know? Do you have the Son? That's the question. But if you have the Son... There is now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. So why do you live your life that way? What do you act that way for? You know? No, not any. He will not kick you out of his family. Here's the second thing. No condemnation means God is not angry with you in your struggles in life. There are people sometimes say, Oh, the Lord's really after me, you know. I had a flat tire on the way home, I on to work this morning. I was trying to get to work on time, had a flat tire. Boy, God's just really sticking it to me. And then I was trying to change that flat tire, and all of a sudden it started to rain. And I looked up and said, Lord, that's a nice touch. Now you're doing that to me. You're raining on top of fixing the flat tire. Listen, God doesn't do that kind of thing. Why does he not do that? Because there is now no more condemnation. those in Christ Jesus. And he never goes back on his word. Titus chapter uh, 1, verse 2 says, he never lies. He never lies. You want to be good, you want to stop doing something, but when the moment of temptation comes, you find yourself overpowered and weak and you give away, and then you hate yourself for what you've done. Anybody been there? I have. And though you may condemn yourself, God will not. And you know why? Because he said... There's no condemnation to those in Christ. There is, here's the third thing. There's no condemnation, means God will never take you to the woodshed because of your struggles. You may punish yourself, may be frustrated, you may cry out, as Paul did in Romans 7.24, when he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness? You may do that. You may cry, you know, and but God doesn't say that. He doesn't condemn you. Listen. Now, you say he doesn't condemn you. He does not condemn you. But he does chastise you because you're his child. And once you become his child, then whom the Lord loves, what? He's got to love you. Whom he loves, he chastises you. That means, and in, in, if you read that in Romans, or excuse me, in Hebrews, what it talks about, it talks about three things he does. He rebukes. What's he going to do? He's going to talk to you first and say, what are you acting like a nut for? Is little preacher or Bible or... Good friend or somebody, he's gonna he's gonna rebuke you. Then what's the second thing he's gonna do? Second thing he's gonna do, he's gonna chastise you. What does that mean? He's turning up the heat. I see Christians sometimes are going through a lot of stuff, and the reason they're going through is because God's removed His hand, and as He removes His hand, He doesn't cause it, but as a result of that, Satan sees that and he moves in. He'll chastise, and then follows the follows the final thing. The final thing is, if you don't give in to him and you belong to him, then he's going to do what? He is going to, He's going to uh, finally uh, scourge you. Well, what does that mean? Well, read it over in Corinthians. He says there's some sick among you. What does that mean? Did God cause them to be sick? No, he's got to move his hand. Satan moves in. There's people that are sick. There, I'm not, and hear this, what I'm saying. I'm not saying because a person gets sick, boy, they're seeing. That's sin. That's the same thing that Job got into. No, God doesn't do that. But by the same token, it does say that there's some sleep. What does that mean? God's saying to you, You wouldn't listen to me. I came to you, I came to you. So it's time. I'm taking you home. you will shorten your life. So I'm not telling you you can go out and sin how you want to, but cause, you know, because even Paul mentions that, though who wrote this, he says over in, in, in six and also seven, Shall we continue in sin that, uh, that, that shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says this God forbid. That's what it says in the King James verse. So we're not saying that. But even though God will chastise you, just... Does it, you know, the Bible says this. And I used to tell kids this in school all the time. I, the kids got in trouble. I said, you know what the Bible says? And they'd look at me and say, "Why?" Well, I... I said, I'll tell you what it says. It says that if I refuse to discipline you, uh, it proves I don't love you. I'm going to prove to you I love you. I'm going to bust your butt. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> See... You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying to you the very fact that God, the very fact that God showing he loves you is when he chastises you. But that doesn't mean he's going to throw you away. It doesn't mean you're not his child. When you, when you discipline your child, does that mean you don't love him? No. But you don't throw him away. You just say, well, you're not my child anymore. So, you know, and I know, and I, and I, let me just say this. I know there's circumstances that parents have had to, had to literally look at some of their children and just simply say, you know what, uh, it says, I, I just can't do this anymore. And I've told, you know, if you've got a child that's in, in, uh, having trouble with, uh, addiction and things, I t- here's what I tell parents all the time. I tell them this I said, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta love them, you gotta forgive them, but you can't trust them. That's the difference. Why you can't trust them? Because they're the ones that betrayed. Your trust. They're the ones that have to put that trust back in. You're robbing from them when you do that. You're not giving them that opportunity. So when you're being corrected for disobedience, you're still not being condemned. I want you to get the message because so many lives are like the Robert Salzman, the prisoner, are like that. You think you're still in bondage when you're not. If you're saved, you've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, you're forgiven. The reason is because the condemnation that you and I deserve has been fully borne by Jesus Christ on the cross. I hear people all the time saying, well, I just can't believe that God would send somebody to hell eternally. It's because you and I haven't got to heaven yet. It's because you and I haven't seen what it costs God to redeem you and I. When we get to heaven one of these days and see we have a full understanding because the Bible says we shall be known even as we're also known. It also says we shall see him face to face and we will know him in that way. We'll look into his face and when we do we're going to understand why somebody would go to hell for eternity. We're going to understand what God's done. If you're saved, you have been covered by the blood of the Lamb and you're forgiven. The reason is because condemnation that you and I deserve has been fully borne by Jesus Christ on the cross. Do we deserve to be condemned? Absolutely. But Jesus took the penalty for us. Now the rest of that verse says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And let me just say this to you. And I know Carol Goodrich, if she's watching today, I guarantee you, she said, you better say the rest of that verse. What she always told me you better say the rest of that verse and it's true but let me say this to you there is no condemnation in anyone who comes to know Christ whether they walk in the flesh or whether they're in the flesh or in the spirit it's still true because God did that it's something God did but let me tell you something the very reason the very reason that we don't know it because why it's not a reality in your life and my life is because we walk in the flesh and we don't walk in the spirit that's why we don't have an active prayer life. We don't, have, we don't get in the Word to see what the Word says. I hear people all the time, you know, when death comes, what's the first thing I need to do when I have to love somebody? What a death? I need to get this Bible out. I need to look for the promises in here that God has told me. You know, listen, one of the greatest things that can happen to any of us is to die and go to heaven. I've been, read, I've been reading Lee, um, uh, what's his name? Lee, help me, help me out. What? Who? Yeah, Strobel. I can't even hear anymore. That's what you get when you still got an old preacher. Uh, but Lee Strobel's book on heaven, and man, it just pumps me up because he's talking about he's talking about that there is consciousness. And, and this is by, he's got all these people's consciousness, after we die in other words, your brain stops, but you still go on, and, and then also he's talking about NDEs, what's NDEs? Near death experiences, all these people that's had all these experiences, they've died and they, what they saw and things like that, there's over and over and over again, evidence after evidence, evidence, and man, I'm thinking man, if we get a load up today, I'm ready to go I don't know about y'all, but so, so I mean, heaven is, so when we got somebody that we love and we care about that man, they're experiencing something that that you and I can't even begin to think about. Amen. He say well, how, well you know can you really know. There is no condemnation to those. So I can know. That's why he writes to us over in 1 John chapter 5 verse 13. Says these things have been written to you. Who believe on the name of the son of God. In order that you might know. You have eternal life. So you know. So. And, and, and so a lot of people believe that that latter part of that phrase, the, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit, a lot of people believe simply that that is there because it should be in verse 4. Because if you go to Romans 8 verse 4, can you put that up there? It says this, who do not walk according to the flesh according to the Spirit, it should be in 4. And why do they think, why do they think that it could be, uh, why should it be in Romans 8? Because when you think about it, when you think about what God has done, that there is no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. What an impossible thought. That even though we screw up and even though we sin, that God loves you so much that he would send his son into this world, let him die for you. Or that now he paid the penalty for every one of us. It's hard to believe. And to know that God never goes back on his word. What a privilege who we are in Jesus Christ. and every one of Paul's writings, the phrase is in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? The great illustration from the Old Testament. In Genesis 7-1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark and you and all your household. And so they come on into the ark. Come into the ark with all your household. The Bible says the ark was pitched within and without with pitch. And the word pitch, it's interesting, the word pitch is identical to the word used in Scripture for the word atonement. Pitch. The ark was covered with pitch, covered with atonement. Between the saved on the ark and in the judgment of the water was hewn wood and pitch. Once Noah and his family were safe in the ark, listen to this, God shut the door. There's coming a time very soon when God's going to shut the door on this too. And if you're not saved by then, you won't be saved. Read, the last, read one of the last verses of Revelation. He that is unjust, let him say unjust steal. That's what it says. So, you know, so they're in the ark. Once Noah and his family were safe in the ark, God shut the door. Here was a complete security. When the wrath of God came down, where was Noah? He was in the ark. Did you get it? When, he was, when the wrath of God came on the flood, where was Noah and his family? They were in the ark. And once Noah and his family were safe in the ark, God shut that door. And once they were in the ark, listen to this, when the wrath of God will come down, and it is coming down into this world, we're not, we're not in the ark, but guess where we are? We are in the Christ. And we're going to be saved. Christ has taken everything for us. He took he took the hit. You know, when one time years ago, cricket and I went up to uh, Niagara Falls. And we didn't stay on the American side. We got there and we didn't want to become a Hindu, so we went to the Canadian side anyway. So we go the, we go over there and and uh, we went to see a we walked around all the falls and all that kind of stuff, you know. And the other, but one night we went to a movie that was there, and I don't remember what the movie was. But anyway, what, where it was. But we came out of the movie, and we were going to have to walk back to our hotel. And a storm came, and when that storm came, it was windy, and I mean, I mean, it was picking things up and throwing things every which way. And 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 we had a long way to go. And and so we got in a corner. We got in a corner of a building, and there we'll forget this. Now, I for, when I say never forget it, because I actually forgot about it. She used this in, in a testimony one time. But we were, in a, we were in a corner. I mean, we finally, I got her over in a corner. We were, I mean, things, boom, 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 bah, signs, everything else. And so I got her in a corner, and I put her in a corner, and I stood in front of her, and I stretched my hands out like this. I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't trying to be smart or being a Hebrew or something. I just because I was trying to block things, you know, keep from hitting. But she used that as an illustration to say simply that what I was trying to do for her, that's what Jesus did for you. All the stuff that is coming at you, all the stuff, all the sin, all the other things that's coming at you, Jesus is trying to block it. He's trying to keep it from hitting you. And that's what he did. When he went to Calvary, he took the hit, not for you and I. Now, it, there's a, there's, listen to what Martin Luther has to say about this. He says, it is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, at the same time, he has all that is in Christ, which gives peace to the conscience that by faith our sins are no more ours. But Christ, on whom God has laid them, and on the other hand, all of Christ's righteousness is ours, to whom God has given it to Christ, lays his hand upon us, and we're healed. He casts his mantle upon us, and we're clothed. For he's a glorious Savior, for our faith unites the soul with Christ as with the spouse to her husband. Everything that Christ, listen to this, everything that Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul, and everything the soul has becomes the property of Christ. Christ possesses all blessings and eternal life that are property of the soul. The soul lays all its iniquities and sins and they they henceforth become the property of Christ who's both God and man. Christ who never sinned and is perfect. Christ the Almighty, the eternal taking, uh, taking to himself by the ring of faith all the sins of the believer. Those sins are lost and abolished in him for there is no more condemnation. To them who are in Christ Jesus. Man. In verse 2, it tells us this, and I got to hurry. It says this it says, For the law of the Spirit of life, the law of the Spirit is the main theme. In, 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 in chapter 8 and in chapter 7, Paul uses the word, if you read it, Paul uses the word me and I 42 times. Me and I, this is where he says, You know, the things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I know I should not do, I end up doing those. This is where he said, "Anybody identify with that?" You know, but but he but here in chapter eight, the word spirit in chapter eight, the word spirit is used twenty two times. He's asking who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness, the latter part of 7. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And then he comes in chapter 8 and 22 times he tells us the answer to this is allowing the Holy Spirit to live within you and take control of your life. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying, man. And so it's the chapter of freedom. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You want to be free? And come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You know, and, and, and so chapter 8 tells us that when we have the Spirit of God in us, we now, for the first time in our whole human existence, we have something that can give us victory over sin and death. The Spirit of God is the distinguishing mark of the child of God. He who has the Son hath life, and he who hath not the Son hath not life. Paul is saying when the Holy Spirit comes into that person, is liberated from bondage of evil and finds a new power within. Power that defeats sin and leads the liberated person into goodness and love. But what about good people? Don't you believe there are some good people? Oh, yeah, I believe there are some good people. But the Bible says there's none good, there's none seeketh after God. But you take that same good person, you think of the best person, and you stand him up against other people. You say, "Oh man, he's so good." Stand him up beside Jesus. This old boy says he's screwed, glued, and tattooed. (laughs) We're not good enough. That's our problem. We're not good enough. You know, power, power. When the Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit comes into that person. He's liberated. power that defeats sin leads to a liberated person to goodness. You know, I don't know anybody that really wants to sin. But here's the thing. They can't overcome the temptation because the power to be able to do that is the Holy Spirit. And it does not rest in them because they do not come to Jesus. There's there's no power. When you become a Christian, while you don't always do the right thing, you do have the power within you to do it. And the more you as a Christian submit to the Holy Spirit, the more power you have to overcome. I spent seven years in drug and alcohol, and I don't know how many years are, t- are, are teaching drug and alcohol. I don't want to tell you I spent seven years in drug and alcohol, but I do as teaching drug and years, are trying to help those who have an addiction problem. But you know what? One of the main things I believe if a person can overcome is the discovering why you use. Why am I doing this? And I believe that many reasons is the lack of, of understanding, it's the lack of understanding the power of the Holy Spirit that was because there was no, and listen to this, there was no dependence on Christ day by day. But you know what? And I'll tell anybody that's addicted, I'll tell that, I'll say, listen, this what you just told me, that you stand for Christ day by day, it's the same thing as we as Christians have to do. Our problem is we don't abide in Jesus. So you have no power. So you fail. Why do you fail? Because you don't abide in Jesus. You have no power. You want to you do what's right? Then abide in Jesus. And Jesus said that. Without me, you can do nothing. You're, you're trying to solve your problems. You're trying to go through things. Why? Because without Jesus, it can't happen. Verse 2, the law of sin and death. There is nothing wrong with the law. The law is good, perfect. Romans 5. Romans 5.20 says simply that the moreover the law entered that offenses may abound but where sin abounded grace much more abound. You know, why would God want when the law comes that we call sin to abound? Because it will drive you to Jesus because that's the only hope you have. James says if you break the law in one point you're guilty of the entire law. But thank God the Lord allowed Jesus to go to the cross. Flesh doesn't go away. Someone has said this, two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, one is blessed. The one I love, the other I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Which one are you feeding? Which one are you feeding? So how does, how does the law of spirit overcome the law of, of sin and death? You, you know, it, it's sort of like this. I, you know, I don't know who you've ever stood beside a 747. I have. I got to fly in a, a bee. I don't know what it was, B-17, the old bomber they used in World War II. I got actually fly in one of those things one time. My son got me a ride in those things. But if you ever stand beside a 747, that, that plane is massive. And you, you stand there and you wonder, how in the world could that thing ever get off the ground? How, can it, how, how, how could that have, how, because how does it break the force of gravity But when the power of those engines combined with the law of aerodynamics, the plane is able to lift itself to 35,000 feet and fly over 600 miles an hour. Gravity is still pulling at the plane, but as long as it obeys the law of aerodynamics, it can break free in the bonds of earth. You know, as well as I do, that when you come to Christ to be saved, well, there's a lot of pull on your life. Is that not true? Amen? Battle just beginning. And those people that tell you, you come to Jesus, all your problems are over, that don't work. But when you put the law of the Spirit to work in your life, he's like the aerodynamics lift that takes you away from the law of gravity that wants to pull you down. So when you become a Christian, you now not only have the power from the penalty of sin, but now you have the freedom from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit has come to live within your heart. So why don't I realize this? Because you don't give yourself over to it. Then you have the freedom from the punishment of sin, verse 3. How is that God did it? Look at what it says in verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son to the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin and condemned sin in the flesh. God did it. God did it. The Bible says you can never be condemned for your, uh, your sin a, a second time. You want the Fifth Amendment and the Constitution, it it says simply there's double jeopardy. You can't be tried again for the same offense. All your sins are condemned. Now, some will say, well, yeah, well, Lee, that means, and here's the way, and I've heard so many people say this, that my sins are forgiven up to the point, now, all my sins are forgiven back here to the point I came to Jesus. No, all your sins. And read the book of Colossians, it says all your sins. It's talking about a life of sins that he forgives you. And let me ask you this question. When you came to Jesus, where were your sins? All your sins were in the future. You know, he forgave all your sins. And, and I will tell you something else. You know, when you came to Jesus, you know, he knew what you were going to do after that. He still saved you. You know? So, uh, so when you become a Christian, you not only have the power from the penalty of sin, but you also have the freedom and the power. God did it. All your sins are condemned. So some will say yes, but no, because it means all your sins are forgiven. So when, we, when, so when we do sin, we go to Christ and we ask for forgiveness, but not so we ask for, you say, okay, Lee, if all, here's the question again. If all of our sins are forgiven, then why do we have to go ask for forgiveness? See, I love to put myself in these corners that I got to. Why do I have to go ask for forgiveness of all my sins? Because I have a position in Jesus Christ. And that position, He's made me free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin and everything else. But I also have a relationship with Him. And the reason I need to go and ask for forgiveness of my sins because 1 John 1.9 says, that If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. John, 1 John 1.7 says, If I walk in the light as He is in the light, I have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. If I do that, you know what that means? Simply, He forgives I have a relationship. I want to restore that relationship. Psalm 66.18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Is there, is there something in your life right now that you're regarding that you haven't given to him because you got mad at so-and-so and you won't forgive them or whatever else is going on? I, I'm just asking, okay? I'm just asking. So if there is, then you need to come to him and ask him for forgiveness. But listen, grace is not leniency, so you'll be forgiven if you sin. Grace is, right. verse 4, look at verse 4, the, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do not walk according to the flesh, but according according to the Spirit. Do you realize because of the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live a life and overcome sin to live a life that's pure? Grace and the power to live the life Jesus wants you to live? Listen to what it says in Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, 12, and 13. For the grace of God brings salvation as appeared to all men. Verse 12. A teaching, teaching us, grace of teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly, righteously, godly in his present age. And verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope of glorious appearing of the Lord and great God, the Savior Jesus Christ. If you come to know Christ, then you are free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. Free from the punishment of sin. And free from the practice of sin. That's what Jesus came to do. Now let me here's what is the question. I'm going to close here. Let me ask you this question: Do you believe that? There, in essence, is our problem. God said all this. Now, do you believe it? If you believe it, you begin to practice it. You're going to experience it. But too many of us don't really believe it. Let me ask you this question: Who are you going to believe? I'll close the story I'll close with the story of Matt Chandler and I heard this and maybe I've used this before I don't know uh, Matt Chandler was a, as a minister and he he went back to his he got a call to come back to his hometown and, and speak in a conference that he was supposed to be in and so he, he was all excited about going there and he was, and this is how Satan does and he does it you know uh, I never will forget one of the first uh, first sermons i had to preach in another church they asked me to come and i went to preach and i looked out there in the audience and there said a girl i used to date (laughs) 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 guess what (laughs) what i do i preached why because jesus said there's no condemnation to me and matt chandler went back to his hometown and he says i rode through town he said one day all of a sudden i looked over and i saw a field over there where I had taken this kid and I beat him up and other people were standing around watching. I humiliated him. He said, I I passed a house. Uh, I passed my mom and dad's house where that says I had not honored them and done the things I needed to do. He said, then I passed another house where I'd done wicked things there. Then I passed a home where he says, I attended a party and it was there he did some shameful things. Then the Satan began to speak to him. Just like he does with you and I. And he said to him, How can you go? How can you go there and speak after all these things? And all of a sudden he began to remember that was the old guy. That was the old guy. Where it says in 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And he remembered Romans 8 1. It says what? He says, there is now no more condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Why live as a second-class citizen when God doesn't want you to do that? And let me ask you this. Start living like you are forgiven. Amen? Start living like you are forgiven. And start living free. Free. (laughs) Amen? Amen. God bless you. We're going to have a verse of invitation.